0: Have a seat. Uh, The other day, there was a a, a disagreement in my home, and it was between my children. I have a son named Judah, for those of you who don't know, and and a son named Caleb, six and three, and there was an issue, a discrepancy that arose. We have this rule that dinner time is always the most tension, right, because we sit down at the table, and no matter what is served, if it's not chicken nuggets, mac and cheese, hot dog, uh, they won't eat it. Well, Judah won't eat it. And so the the rule, Caleb eats whatever's in front of him still. It's going to get to that weird face soon. Uh, but we put dinner out, Carrie made it, and we're eating. And the idea was, in order to get an ice cream, a drumstick, you know how wonderful those are with the, the fudge core? Oh, it's wonderful. Uh, in order to get the drumstick, Judah, you need to eat five bites of chicken and your green beans. And it's just like, oh, didn't happen. Well, Caleb's over there going, wait a minute. Ice cream, all I have to do is eat this, got it. Scarfs it down, I mean, it was gone quick, and then he gets the ice cream and starts eating it right in front of Judah in the taunting way, like, hey, you're freaking out. I got my ice cream. Now, Judah, all of a sudden, sees what's going on, and uh, tensions run high in a six-year-old body, emotions and tears at that moment, and he just started, he lost it. And then he used this phrase that I've never taught him. This is unfair. I'm like what? Now I taught him how to ride a bike. We're working on throwing the ball and hitting the ball. He's actually getting pretty good. We got a Mike Trout on our hands. Uh, <laughs> last season. He's not doing too great this season. But uh, we got we got a Mike Trout on our hands, and he's doing. Uh, he, he can do a lot of things. But when it comes, uh, I've taught him those. But I've never taught him the concept of what is fair and what is not fair. And I looked at him like, what? How, how do you know what this is all about? And he, he says, well, he gets it and I don't. And I said, yes. And then we had a fair, whatever. It, it, we just went on. But it got me thinking. This whole idea of what is fair and what is not is not something that you and I are taught, right? It's just something that's built within us. And it it comes from the way you and I are created. You and I are different from nature. Hopefully you understand this. Nature and the animal kingdom is a terribly unfair universe. We're watching a lot of animal shows on the Discovery Channel, and animals eat animals. It's not fair, right? We're watching the dinosaur thing now on Apple TV, and little baby dinosaurs are getting gobbled up by T-Rexes, and it's not fair. That's not right. That shouldn't happen, but that's the animal kingdom. Now, if that happened between you and I, we would go, this isn't correct. And why is that? It's because when you and I are created, God created us a special way. There's a little difference, a caveat in how we were created in the created order. It said that you and I are different in the fact that God breathed into us the breath of life, his very own image. Uh, The Latin phrase for this, the one that gets used a lot is this idea of the imago Dei, the image of God that is inside of us. The image of God is the one thing that kept intact after the fall of man, after sin entered the world. The image of God is still in you. And so we have this craving for what is right and what is just based upon how you and I are created. That's why we can look at something and go, hey, that guy has ice cream. I don't have any ice cream. That's unfair. Or we size each other up, like this person has this, I have this, I should have that, and because I don't have that, it is unfair, or as we'd like to say, unjust. It's not just, or justice is not being served. Justice in our culture today is one of those hot-button fashionable concepts that everyone likes to talk about, and if we're honest, justice is entirely confusing, Uh, And honestly, justice has been so diluted by a bunch of other concepts of political and social and everything else that's gone with it, that justice has been diluted to the point that you define justice and we have 10 people in the room. If we had 10 people in the room, you had 20 different definitions. Because justice is one of those things that we just don't get anymore. Yet, we hunger for it. We crave it because it's a part of who we are. And out of that hunger, what has happened is that you and I go anywhere and everywhere to try and solve it and try to achieve it. And so we've made justice a checklist. In order to be about justice is the phrase that we see a lot. Uh, We've made a checklist. Uh, And you must do this. You must say these words. You must have this profile picture on your Facebook page and 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 this document you have to agree to and if you don't, well you're not just you you're, you're about injustice and so justice has now become if you agree with all the things that I call just, you're good if you don't, well I don't I think you're part of the problem. Have you experienced that? Oh I have. Uh, And if you haven't, just hold on, It's, it's coming. But ultimately, the definition of justice that we have comes from the core values that you and I are born with. So to talk about justice, even today, becomes a tricky and almost like a minefield of topics. Because if I don't say the right phrase, or if I don't use the right catch in here, you'll be like, oh, he's totally wrong. And so we come at justice from all of these different angles. So what I'd like to do today is define what is justice? Where do we get justice? It has to be more than the justice phrases that we have with social justice, reparative justice, distributive justice, and there's like 35 more that I forgot the titles. And all of these have been, I've said, diluted by political, academic, and social social constructs. So to talk about it in any meaningful way, we have to go back to the actual source of where we find justice. Let's go back to the beginning. You can't define justice by arbitrary terms. You have to know, go back to the source, where did we find justice? Justice is ultimately a reflection of who God is. He made us. Justice is what differentiates us from the rest of the world. Justice then definition of what was right and fair has to be rooted in how God defines justice and this is extremely problematic because you and I can approach scriptures in very different ways and we read into scripture our own meaning instead of what the meaning that was intended to be and even the meaning that I say that it was intended to be you could say well that's debatable and we can debate it yes we can And so this is the hard part about justice. So what I want to do today is get back to the basics. Let's get back to the scriptures. What does the Bible actually say about justice? There are three Hebrew phrases or three Hebrew words that I want us to become acquainted with with when regards to justice. And the first word that I want us to use is the word mishpat. Did we get that up there? There it is. Mishpat. You want to say it? Not mushpot. That is a different game. Uh, mishpat, it means actual, this means justice. It appears in the Old Testament especially over 200 times. The basic meaning of Mishpat is this, equitable justice. To treat everyone at the same. Leviticus 24, 22. Leviticus is not always scary for those of you who try to avoid it. Leviticus is a beautiful book. Leviticus says this about Mishpat. Have the same Mishpat, or rule of law, as you would the foreigner and the native. Mishpat means you treat every person in the merit on the merit of that person and the rule of law, regardless of any other thing that they might have. So if it's an immigrant or foreigner, they're treated the same way as a citizen of that country is. And he's talking to Israel here, where they looked at people who weren't Jewish as less than. And God says, no, 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 no. I want you to be about justice. I want you to have mishpat. Same rule of law. It is level ground we all stand on. This is mishpat. Anyone who does the same wrong will be, will be treated and ruled the same. But mishpat means more than wrongdoing. Mishpat is also this idea of giving someone what is rightfully theirs. Their right based upon them being made in the image of God. So we read in Proverbs 31, defend the rights of the poor, defend the mishpat of the poor and the needy. Give to them what is their rightful due, whether it's punishment, whether it's protection or whether it's care, it's the same across. You following me? The next word we come is the word chesed. Uh You want to try that? Make sure you click the back of your throat. Chesed, Chesed. There you go. Chesed. It embodies God's unconditional grace and mercy and compassion. This is used in correlation with justice. Usually, it's a few words behind it, and it, it so shows up around 248 times in the Old Testament. Chesed and mishpat show up, and Chesed becomes the primary motivation of how we exercise justice. It's mercy. Micah 6.8 is the popular one that we should all know. There was a song when I was growing up. I am not going to sing it, but those of you who know the song understand it. It says this, he has shown you, O oh human, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, mishpat, to love mercy, said; and to walk humbly with your God. said, is what brings us to the point of mercy, where we can see the other, per- we can see ourselves in the other person. We can identify with their humanness. We get on the same level as them, and then we can exercise justice. Out of mercy, out of said, we seek mishpat and justice. There's one more word, and this one's even fun. It even looks cooler. It's the word tzedakah. You want to say it? zedekah of course you want to say it. why do we even ask zedekah zedekah means righteousness and it appears 130 times in the text i did a lot of counting this this week or i just typed it into my computer program and it told me when we hear the word righteousness today instantly we jump to moral issues right we say well this is a moral issue but in the old testament zedekah is referring uh to our day uh uh, uh, living with fairness with everybody around us fairness and generosity. So, if mishpat is giving people what their rights, said becomes the motivation behind it. Zedekah is how it's lived out. Do you see how they work together? So, you have justice, you have mercy, and then you have the compassion. These words pop up in the Old Testament, and they're usually associated uh, with for, with uh, a group of folks in the text that have been coined the quartet of the vulnerable. Uh, We see this uh, 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 each time. The quartet of the vulnerable is this. It's the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, and the poor. In Zechariah 7, uh, verses 9 and 10, it says, This is what the Lord Almighty said. Administer true mishpat. Show mercy, said, uh, said, and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the foreigner or the poor. Do not plot evil against each other the word evil it's not going to be on there's the word rasha do not be evil towards each other in this time the the group the quartet did not have much social standing in order to have any kind of clout in that day you had to own land and none of those people owned land and so they lived days away from starvation if a calamity came if they had a pandemic let's say they would be the first ones to feel the effects of it in the slightest bit of social unrest They would go hungry, they'd be the first ones to suffer. In our world, we can expand this. The quartet would include the refugee, the migrant worker, the homeless, single parents, elderly, and the unborn, to give a few examples of who the vulnerable are in our society. The ones who feel the weight of any kind of unrest are those people, and there are more. I I probably left out about 30 more and you're thinking he didn't say these people. I know, those are the ones who feel it the most according to scripture the justice of a society when a society is just is looking god looks at that society declares it just or unjust depending on how those four groups of people are treated neglect of the quartet is a neglect of mishpat it's it's injustice And so if the Bible defines justice as giving all humans their right and due, and what is their right as humans is being based solely on the fact that they have been created in the image of God. Therefore, true justice of what is right and wrong is not based on our arbitrary laws that humans make up. True justice is based upon what God thinks as just. The bedrock of the Bible's view of justice is that all humans are equal before God and have the right to be treated with dignity, fairness, and respect, no matter who you are. Real justice is only achieved on what God's terms are. True justice is right or wrong, depending on what God thinks. And according to God, in in the Old Testament, justice is not optional. God demands that we treat every single person in this way, dignity, honor, respect. That's how we treat one another. And it seems simple, right? But it's not. And it would be awesome if everyone did this. However, we don't. Because you and I know how you and I tend to work. That's not how we go about things. Humans have the tendency to redefine uh, what is fair and what is edifying and what is good and respectful. And we usually bend those things to meet our own advantages at the expense of the other. It seems that the weaker person, the, the more vulnerable person, might be, might be the one that we can always take advantage of. And we have predatory, predatory people in our worlds that do just that. And as you flip through the biblical story and you move on from Micah and Genesis, what you find is that all the backbone of the Old Testament is having to do with how the nation of Israel exercised justice. Because if God is seen by a just society, God wanted Israel to be a representation of him to the rest of the world. God says, look, in order to be like me, you need to treat everyone with dignity, honor, and respect. This is how you're going to stand out. So through the Old Testament, you start reading how nations and countries were not doing this. And then you start seeing how God responds to it. One of the first places we see this happen is in the book of Exodus. It always goes back to Exodus. So if you have your Bibles, go to Exodus chapter 3. Moses has grown up in, in, in Egypt. The nation of Israel, the Abraham's kids and Jacob's kids, have moved there because there, there is a famine. They were one of the most vulnerable people at the start. And so they go to Egypt. Joseph was there before, if we know the story. He's there and he sets up Egypt so it's going to survive. Well, they were there for 400 more years after that. And over time, the people of Israel became treated as the other. They were taken advantage of by the Egyptians. They were made slaves. And so they were on the receiving end of what we would deem injustice. Moses sees this. He comes out of his his uh, royal court one day and he sees an israelite a jewish person being hassled by an egyptian person and he steps in to administer what he thought was justice and he ends up killing this person and he disposes of the body and then he comes out and some the next day and, and 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 he's found out and he runs to the other end of the desert he goes to a place called horeb the far place And there, as he's tending sheep, God meets him in the experience of the burning bush. And this is what God says to him. The Lord said, I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. Go down to verse 9. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. The oppression is a sign that God has deemed what Egypt is doing as evil. They were experiencing misery, unfair treatment. They were slave drivers. They were contributing to the suffering of the the Jewish people. And so the fact that they would kill first a, a baby that was a boy, they would kill that boy. That was the order. And God heard this. And he said, they're being oppressed And so God moved through Moses to confront the evil, the Rasha of Egypt, and he rescued them and delivered them from the promised land, to the promised land. He gave them a new set of laws, the Torah. This is how we're going to build a just society that treats people with dignity, honor and respect. However, if you know the story of history or how history goes, it's full of irony The very people who are always treated or the very people who are being oppressed usually end up being oppressors. The very vulnerable people who were set to now rule their own land and given the charge of dignity, honor, and respect start committing the injustices to more vulnerable people. And it's not just with history. It happens in our own world today. It happened with my children last night. We were playing around. We were, we were wrestling, trying to get the last bit of energy out of these boys before we try to put them to bed. And, and Judah found this uh, headband. And he thought it was funny. It was Carrie's headband. It doesn't keep the hair out of my eyes, but it keeps the hair out of hers. And she puts it on. And, and he, she, he put it on and said, Now, whoever... He kind of stood on his chair and gave this edict, right? Whoever wears this headband is in charge which is a big deal for him and we went all right let's play along with this and he says i'm in charge now so new rule i'm in charge and caleb the more vulnerable person to him you need to go clean my mess in the bathroom daddy go clean my room he didn't get to mom i think he realized that yeah, it might be pushing it a little bit i think he but he was in charge now, and what did the power do? It literally went to his head. He wore the crown, and now he starts bossing people around. Caleb has to clean up his mess. It was unjust. Now, we don't oppress our children. We make them do chores like you should do. We, we pay them well. And, 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 but he thought, now that I'm in charge, I make the rules. And it was a perfect illustration, I think, to what happens as human beings as we get power We tend to lord lord it over people. We use people at our expense to treat people as objects who are going to be commanded and controlled instead of seeing people with dignity, honor, and respect. And this happened in the story of Israel. The once slaves in Egypt became slave owners in the promised land. They actually became more than slave owners. They became a world power. They became arms dealers if you look closely in Solomon's story. People came to them to get chariots and horses and weapons of war. The oppressed became the oppressors. And so this became the message of the prophets. You know those small books in the middle of the Bible that we tend to avoid? This became the message of the prophets. Amos says it this way, there are those of you who hate the one who upholds justice in court and detest the one who tells the truth. You levy a straw tax on the poor and you impose a tax on their grain. Therefore, Though you have built stone mansions and you live in them, though you have not planted, though you have planted lush vineyards, you're not going to drink their wine. For I know that how many are your offenses and how great your sins. There are those who oppress the innocent; they take bribes, bribes, and deprive the poor of their justice in courts. Now, what would happen is they would come in; the they, people would come in, and they they would buy wheat. And they would usually give all they have to buy enough grain to get them through until the next payday, right? Living paycheck to paycheck. And what the sellers would do is they would adjust the scales. And so if I'm going to buy $5 worth of this, uh, I expect to get $5. But if I, on the other end, adjust the scales, and so I'm not giving you $5 worth, I'm going to give you $4.95 worth. I save the nickel, but I'm going to charge you $5. You see how this is oppression and the people who feel that the most, the poor, the immigrant, the orphan, the quartet. And God looks at this and I know what you're doing. Yeah, you're living in mansions. You have your own fields. But because of this, because not giving people what is due to them and their rights, you're not going to live in those mansions. You're not not going to, to eat the fruit of those vineyards because you have not given people their due. You have been unjust. Micah says it this way. He says, hear this, you leaders of Jacob. Israel is another, uh, another word for Jacob. Jacob's name was turned to Israel. You rulers of Israel who despise justice and distort what is right, who build Zion, Jerusalem, with bloodshed and Jerusalem with wickedness. What was happening in Micah's day was the very people that that were slaves had become slaveholders and they were building up their country on the backs of their other countrymen. They would have debts. Say, I borrowed $10 and I can't pay it back and now I'm indebted to you and you make this interest rate unbearable so I have to keep working for you. The Bible calls that slavery. And they were making slaves of their own brothers and sisters, their own countrymen they were treating people as they were not supposed to be treated and Micah gets to this and goes look you're enslaving your neighbors you're enslaving your own people and throughout the prophets we see this warning picture of pe- pictures of people who perpetuated injustice other examples that we see uh, are they received benefits and privileges from building social structures other th- that that benefited them and hurt the other people other people use positions of power and influence to write new laws of society in order to take advantage of the other and we've seen this in our own history in america we have a history of slavery right here in ballard we used to have redlining where people of a a different race or ethnicity couldn't buy homes in this neighborhood thankfully those laws have been removed but that history is here we see it it's not far removed 1970s that went away it was unjust it was the same thing that happened in scriptures And so the the prophets came to them and said, look, you're doing this. That is unjust. And because of your action, when we get to the, the, the nuts and bolts on why Israel went to exile, the whole definition of or the whole reason why comes to the point of they were not honoring people. They stepped away from the way God wanted them to treat others. This started by them bringing in idols and different religions into the temple. That was one of the symptoms. The other symptom was the way they treated each other. And so the prophets would come and they'd be doom and gloom. Yes, you're doing this. This is unjust. You're acting improperly towards other people. And this is what's going to happen. But the prophets also usually, most of the time, offered a cure to how we stop injustice. And instead of saying, here's how you stop it, you elect this official, you make this law, you obliterate this law, they didn't do the systemic stuff. They didn't address those. Instead, the prophets uh, addressed the issue of justice by looking at the core of the human being. Justice at its core, because it's based in the image of God, which all of us have, justice is a heart issue. Yes, it finds its way into systems. Yes, it finds its way into laws. But it begins in the heart of men and women. That's where justice begins. Justice is a problem of the heart. Therefore, and the prophets allude to this, the only solution to justice is to have a transformed heart. The only solution for injustice becomes the gospel of Christ. And this is a surprising message of the, in the biblical story. God's response to humanity's bend towards injustice is to give us a gift, and he does in the life of Christ. The person of Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, is the only way to transform the human heart and then transform the systems around us to bend towards justice. It begins in the heart. This is the story of the early church just after Pentecost. Uh, the, the work of Jesus had empowered them. Jesus had died. He had risen again. Fort, uh, Forty days later, he ascends into heaven. Fifty days after that, they're sitting in a room probably a little bigger than this. Maybe maybe not much bigger. And, and they're waiting. They're, they were told to wait. And then the Holy Spirit blows through and they give them gifts. And then the early church begins to transform. The The fire was lit and they go out. And one of the things the early church was known for was how they cared for the vulnerable. They shared things. They watched out for each other. They were generous. Their hearts had been transformed. Were they like this before Pentecost? Absolutely not. Look at the way the disciples wanted to grab everything. They wanted power. They wanted to know who was going to sit on the right and the left of Jesus. Peter wanted a new kingdom. But the Spirit comes through and now their hearts are transformed. And so the church was marked by how they cared for the poor. The widow the orphan, and the immigrant, not as a mere social uh, uh, agenda under the guise of the next trend of what social justice is. It was, ach- it was achieved by the redistribution of wealth and commodities based upon their heart transplant that they had. The justice we find in the early church was an overflow that changed from an empowered life that came from the renewed heart There are most assuredly uh, uh, issues in in the culture that are most assuredly issues in that culture that was broken. But the Bible says the way they were changed was a heart transplant. And I believe any treatment of the issues that you and I see in in our world where we find injustice, any treatment that is not began and exercised in the human heart will ultimately be a band-aid to the solution and not an actual fix a cover-up. It makes us feel good. It becomes a virtue signal, and it doesn't adjust anything. The only way to solve injustice in our culture is the same way that they solved injustice in theirs, by the power of Christ. Our confusion is because we've been conditioned to view justice as a power issue. Biblical justice is not a power issue. It's a hard issue, and anything less of that is destined to fail. And this is why when the prophets give their solutions, their agendas switch to transformation. Ezekiel says it this way in Ezekiel 36. I'll give you what? A new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit in you, and you will move to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave to your ancestors. Your people will be my people. And I will be your God. Where does it begin? In the heart. How is it empowered? By the spirit that comes and transforms them. I'm going to take away your heart. That is always looking after you as number one. And I'm going to put a new one in you. That looks after others. As number one. Joel says it this way. Even now declares the Lord. Return to me with all your heart. With fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart not your garments. Don't put on something that makes you look virtuous. Start at the core of who you are. That's where this begins. Return to the Lord, for he is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. There's a ton more. You can go through all the prophets and find verses that point to this, but the solutions that the prophets give to the sickness that they're seeing is a new heart Empowered by the Spirit, a heart that sees things differently, a heart that sees people the way God sees people. It begins with an encounter for us. It begins with an encounter with Jesus. It's empowered by the filling of the Spirit and the transformation that comes. If we build justice on anything less, it's on a foundation that will never stand. That's why Jesus, when he stands in front of his hometown church, In Luke 4, he comes back from the temptation. It's his turn uh, to read the scriptures. And he stands in front of them. And he opens up to the daily reading, which is Isaiah 61. And he reads what the scripture says. And he says, look, today freedom has come for the prisoners. There's good news to the poor. He lists the whole bunch. He's quoting straight from Isaiah 61. And he says, there's sight to the blind. There's freedom for the impressed. And what he is saying is, look, there's justice now. All of this is being fulfilled and then everyone's kind of going well yeah you've cured my buddy frank from being blind and and this person can now walk and there was someone who was bound by a demon and they've been they've been set free this is justice and now jesus then a few minutes later he points to himself and says this is all being fulfilled right in front of you he's talking about him if we want justice it begins with Jesus it begins with an encounter with him and it grows from there this is what Paul is getting at in Ephesians and every week we've kind of found our way back to Ephesians and it, it's okay in chapter two Paul begins addressing this major point of contention that was present in their culture uh, the Jewish Christians who were there longer that's what they would say were having a hard time accepting the Gentile Christians coming in. This was a rift in their whole culture. The Jews and the Gentiles had an extremely contentious relationship. The Jews made rules and laws that said, if you want to be a Christ follower, you have to go through these checkpoints in order for you to be fully accepted. What's that sound like? It sounds like me designing a rule for that bends towards my comfort and not yours. And what that means is that you're being held away from it. So I'm going to make this boundary and make you jump over it in order for you to be complete, in order for you to follow Jesus. Paul hears this and goes, what? No, 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 no. We don't do that. In order to become a Christian for these Jewish Christians, you had to become Jewish, then you could become a Christian. And Paul says, we don't play the division games. We don't look at people as otherly, when they come from a different ethnicity than we do. And then he gives this illustration in Ephesians chapter 1. If you remember, Paul talks about this new identity that they've been given. They've been given something new in Jesus. Because of Jesus, you are brought into this new family. And now we're brought into this new family. We act differently. We have different laws. We have different ways of treating other people. And so he comes in and says, look, you've excluded the other. You've mistreated them both of you have done something wrong because the uh, the gentile christians would say it's their fault that they killed jesus and the jewish people would say but you're not jewish and then there was a fight and paul says this is the solution what you're doing is unjust and the solution wasn't this well we're just going to make two services right we're going to have a 9 a.m service with just the jewish people we'll call that The traditional service and then we're going to have an 11 a.m a contemporary service and this is where all the gentiles come no paul's solution wasn't segregation instead he reminds them of something that's bigger he says it's not going to be a new system that makes you feel more comfortable in the ways that you've decided to see yourself the answer is not more segregation paul takes them back and he says look the solution is to look at the cross of christ Ephesians 2 says, but now in Christ, those of you who are far away have been brought near. And he's talking to the Gentiles there. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups, Jewish, Gentile, Jewish people, and the rest of the world. He has brought peace between them, made the two groups one. And then he's destroyed the barrier The dividing wall of hostility. And that's a key phrase for the Jewish people. There was literally a wall in the temple that kept Gentile folks from worshiping. And we're going to be going through uh, this in a lot more detail in a couple months. But to give you a little teaser, this wall was called the wall of hostility. There was a sign on the wall that said, in Brad's words, if you're not Jewish and you pass through this wall, we're not responsible to what happens to you. In other words, you're going to be killed and you signed your waiver. Uh, You can do whatever you want. And so Paul says, look, that wall has been destroyed. The hostility has been set aside. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in him one new humanity out of the two. He takes two that were separated And brings them into one new humanity. He'll later say in in Ephesians 4, there is one God and one spirit. There's not two, there's one. He brings them in and thus making peace, shalom. And in one body to reconcile both of them through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. So Paul looks at this church, he sees the injustice that's happening. In order to address it, he goes, guys, everybody you know better. We're not supposed to do this. We're not going to have a 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. service just to meet your needs. We're coming together as one because at the foot of the cross, everyone stands on level ground. No matter where you're from, no matter what your abilities are, no matter what your age is, no matter your social status, at the foot of the cross, everyone is equal. And then he says in verse 19, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners or strangers but your fellow citizens, pay attention to the language here, I'll show you in a minute, with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundations of the apostles and the who? The prophets. Who would the prophets say? You need a new heart. This is the foundation that we're building on. With Christ Jesus as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become the holy temple. Now here's the wording that's interesting. The work of Christ is the starting point. It makes strangers or foreigners, immigrants and the poor. And what's it said that he makes them? Fellow citizens. That difference that we make between people? Gone. You're a citizen now. Citizen of what? You're not Jewish. You're not Gentile. You're a citizen of God's kingdom. And then he says, we're going to bring them into one household. Orphans and widows did not belong to a household. So what's Paul say? your orphans and your widows and you're brought into this house you're brought into this family where you have covering where you're treated with dignity honor respect where we have mishpat where we have zedekah where we have hesed because this is the way that God intended it to be it starts with the heart. The foundation of justice is built on Christ. Everything that was once broken and unjust now becomes the very presence of God united at the cross where the ground is level. At the foot of the cross, we're all being made equal because of the work of Jesus. And because of the work of Jesus in our lives, being empowered by the Spirit, the transformation in our lives continues and we go out and seek justice not so that you and i can look better not these band-aids of justice but we go after the heart of the person sure if they're hungry we give them food if they're if they're needy we give them what they need we, we do our best but at the core of that is not just to give them a band-aid a solution the core of it says you need to have an experience with christ that's where justice begins And we offer them restorations. As our relationship with Christ develops, as we begin to accept his invitation into wholeness in our lives, this is one of the fruits of that invitation. Justice isn't a social issue. Justice is a heart issue. Justice is something that begins from uh, from the wholeness of our lives. Justice is a discipleship issue. As you grow closer to Christ, justice should emanate from you and we embody justice and fairness into our world like the early church who was desperate to see it i don't know where this lands for you i know that we all have different opinions on what justice might be what fairness might be and and how we go about it and that's great you can go about doing justice in your world in a bunch of different ways but my encouragement to us today is that it stems from a relationship with Christ and not just doing something that's going to help you feel better. Not just doing something that's going to be a band-aid. Not doing something that creates more division, more hostility, uh, more anger, but something that brings us together. And where does it bring us together? At the foot of Christ. At the foot of the cross where justice begins true justice is what god thinks true justice is beginning to see people with dignity honor and respect one way that i've had to go about this and changing the way that i think about justice is my prayer was i I can get frustrated with a lot of people a lot of times surprisingly for some uh but my thing is god help me see this person that i might be angry with with your eyes I can make walls between anybody, and I could isolate myself pretty good at times. But the challenge in the prayer is, God, how do you see this person? They're different from me. They're from different parts of the world. Their ethnicity is different. Their socioeconomic status is different. They have different political viewpoints. I'm usually more correct than they are. That's fine. But help me see them the way you see them. And in that transformation, I invite God to come into my life through his spirit and give me new eyes to see this person the way he sees them. It doesn't always work perfectly, let me tell you. But the beginning is to see this person with dignity, honor, respect. Give them what's their due. Have mercy upon them and move in a way of compassion because of what Jesus did. Now today, we, uh, it's the first Sunday of the month and something we're going to start doing is start taking communion together. And this is a perfect time. Communion reorients us to what Jesus did on the cross. Communion is a way for us to say we remember what the sacrifice was. We remember where all of this, all of scripture, all of the injustice that we see points the solution to Jesus. And we start from there and go out. And so today, we're going to take communion together. We usually had you go over there and and, and take it and come back to your seat, but there's something about doing it together where we can all gather and say, you know what? We're in with Jesus. Uh, uh, The idea of breaking bread together or eating together meant that I recognize the humanity in you, and we're going to share this meal because the humanity in you and the humanity in me need this meal to survive. And so when communion happens, the Lord's Supper, Jesus is saying, can you see the humanity between us? Can you see that we all need to feast on Jesus in order to survive, in order to reorient ourselves? Because we have a lot of competing opinions on how we should orient our lives. And if we fail to orient around Christ, we're going to be a ship without an anchor, just being tossed to and fro by the next trend that comes along. So communion is a way for us to anchor each other. And then when we take it together, it's a way of us us saying, these 60 or so people that are in this room agree that Jesus is the starting point. And so today, I'll invite Scott and Nancy to come forward, and and they're going to pass this out to you. I'm going to ask you to do this. Don't open it yet. Wait. We're going to take it together. I'll lead us through it. Let me come down. You go this. So here's what we'll do. When you take it, Have a prayer time. God, what are some of the ways that I have reoriented my life away from the way that you have wanted me to orient? What are some of the ways where I've gone awry? And Jesus hasn't been the center. And as those things are identified in the next few moments, repent of them. And repenting is just saying, I'm sorry. I'm going to start anew. I'm going to come back to the center. I'm going to come back to the way that we're supposed to be. Let me pray, and this will be passed out. Father, we thank you for this picture of sustenance that we all need, and it comes from you. So Lord, may you begin to identify the ways perhaps we have treated the other in our world without dignity, honor, and respect. The way that we've slandered, the way that we've separated, the way that we've isolated, the way that we've practiced injustice, evil in your sight spirit as you identify those areas may you lead us to repentance may you lead us back to the foot of the cross where we can begin again so as this comes before you grab one take it and hold on to it I'm going to take a couple for the band